The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. This is the sound of me and my friend Anna Adlerstein crossing a border patrol checkpoint in Arizona. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you today? Good, how are you? Good. U.S. citizens? We are. Yes. Take care. Thanks. Oh, well, I mean, I recorded myself crossing every single border checkpoint for security. And do you mind saying a little bit more about that? Because I think people might, you know, might be like, "What do you, you're an American citizen. What would you have to worry about crossing a border checkpoint? Yeah. Yeah. I think because I was doing humanitarian aid work and um, humanitarian aid workers were being criminally prosecuted. And one of my closest friends there was a guy who was facing 20 years in prison for giving food, water and, and blankets to travelers from Central America who were lost in the desert. When I went to visit Anna last year, I came back kind of rattled. I wanted to believe that when history has its eyes on me, I'd be like the good Germans who hid Jewish refugees in their attics, or like the kindly Northerners stationed along the Underground Railroad. But in all of these situations, offering help was criminalized and dangerous, and we are living in one of those historically dire situations now. To give you an idea, from October 1997 to September 2018, 7,505 people have died trying to get across the southern border, and that's just going off the number of remains that have been found and reported to Border Patrol. The true number of deaths could be, and probably is, thousands more. No statistic can account for the bodies that were never discovered in the vast and harsh expanse of the Sonoran Desert. The reason people are crossing these really remote stretches of desert is because of a 1994 Clinton-era policy called Prevention Through Deterrence, which essentially decided that if you push people further out into really, you know, vast, expansive, dangerous wilderness, then they won't cross. But that didn't happen. So, like, the checkpoints that you and I drove through, those are all forms of deterrence. People used to migrate through urban centers without a lot of physical danger. But the deterrence, the checkpoints, the criminalization of migration and aid, the stretches of border wall, all these obstacles mean that if you want to try to make it into the country without being thrown in prison or deported or separated from your family, you have to attempt to cross the most desolate, remote parts of the desert. So Anna Adlerstein is an activist and an aid worker, and she's also a radio producer and a reporter. And these roles intersected in a strange way when she met Art Del Cueto. I was reporting for NPR, and Art Del Cueto was the one person who would speak on behalf of the Border Patrol. Art is the vice president of the National Border Patrol Council, and he's also a Border Patrol agent, active duty. And how, I mean... <laughs> I was about to say, how did you become friends? But I don't know. Do you consider him a friend? I don't... Uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of conversations and connections with people who have, like, really opposing viewpoints to my own. Art is the most powerful person I've ever had those kind of conversations with. I don't... Yeah, would I consider Art a friend? <sighs> I don't know the answer to that question. 
I was born in Mexico and I moved to this country when I was really young, right before I started school. I didn't think of it as a big deal because it was on the border, so I was always there. We'd come across into the United States to do all our shopping, you know, and, and I guess that when you're a kid, you just don't think. I'm just moving from this part of town to this part of town. You didn't feel the border at that stage? No. But then when I started school, that's when things were different. Because, yeah, it's a border town, but we do have, um, you know, what I call lighter-skinned human beings. I don't like to call them, like, just white people and Mexicans. They're lighter-skinned human beings. And so the the lighter-skinned kids would kind of pick on me because I didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. Have you ever found someone in the desert that you, like, relate to? No. You're expecting a deeper answer. I'm busy all the time. Typical workday to me is 4 a.m. to 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Uh, the other day I was still taking calls at midnight. As a regular line agent, of course, you come into work. You sit in what we call a muster. You speak to the supervisors. They explain, you know, any abnormalities that happened on the shift before. They explain what's going on in what areas, what areas are busier. Um, you know, and then they give you a rundown of where you're supposed to work that day. You go out, you get your uh, your vehicle, and you, you go to your assigned area. You know, you could be assigned like a scope truck where you're watching, you know, a screen, seeing, you know, who's crossing where. Um, you know, you could be just a tactical unit where, you know, you're just roaming and checking different areas, checking fences, whatever. Are the tasks of all of these essentially just like looking for undocumented immigrants? Yes, that is your primary role is to find undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you like the work of looking for people? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't like it. So I, I think it's a good job. Is it fun? Um, it is fun. It is fun. I mean, you know, you're out here um, in the middle of nowhere at times. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at how the the desert's beautiful. So I think there's a lot of people that work in an office that wish they had this view every day. And the element of, like, finding people who are hiding from you? Uh, though more and more lately, it's not really people that are hiding from you. It's people that are just coming up to you when they see your vehicle and they turn themselves in. Because they have asylum claims. Because they have asylum claims. But there's also the phenomenon happens where people don't turn themselves in, right? Right. Yes. I mean, that happens where you got to chase people down or um, people here chasing it. It sounds like you're running through the desert, you know? And it's not necessarily that. You're tracking a group is more the actual word of what you're doing. How common do you think it is that you apprehend the entire group that you're tracking? I wouldn't know. I don't think it's that common. I think there's always one or two that gets away. I mean, I remember that happening a lot before where people would run. You'd catch the people that were there. And before you were done writing them up or, or you know, cleaning, doing all the cleanup in the field, some of the individuals that ran would come back all of a sudden and say, I, I ran, but I didn't know where I was going. So I just came back. Because it's really dangerous to be on your own in the desert, right? I mean, I think it is, definitely. Yeah. Especially now in the summer months. It's horrible. Yeah, are you are you aware of the amount of deaths in this area? No, I'm not. I don't have that statistic. It's since 2000, it's like almost 3,000 people that have been found. Wow. And that ha- just doesn't count the ones that don't haven't been found, right? So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. One of the causes that they attribute to that amount of deaths is is chase and scatter. When that one or two individual mm-hmm. don't get picked up by you, you know, then they're lost. 
I mean, just in Ajo, voluntary solution rescue groups this past week have found six bodies all within a mile of rescue beacons. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know how they would be known of where the rescue beacons are. I guess it's just, you know, uh, some of these rescue beacons are put in areas where perhaps the Border Patrol itself have, have known that it's areas where uh, they've seen a more traffic than not. So No More Deaths, the volunteer group published a video of um, water water gallons being slashed by Border Patrol. Do you remember that video last year? It was longer than that. Oh, you're right. It was 2017. It was, uh, January. I remember seeing it. I think I saw it on PBS. So you get a good shot. Pick up this trash somebody left on the trail. It's not yours, is it? All you have to do is tell me. Is it yours? Not yours. You're not going to tell me, huh? But you don't want people to die in the desert. No one does. Does do people dying in the desert? Does that like is that is that upsetting to you? Anybody that loses their life has got to be upsetting, you know, to a point. I mean, I mean, think about it. You know, someone losing their life—it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Have you come across many bodies in the desert? I have. I've come across several. Yes. Has there ever been a time where you've met a migrant and been interviewing them or, or kind of sharing stories and your view has changed at all based on what you're learning? About them crossing illegally? Just generally, your, your thoughts about the border and enforcing the border. And like, has there been any stories that stand out for you and, and have made you see anything differently? Mm, no. That was easy. No. It doesn't. In fact, some of them have made my convictions even stronger. One particular one that stands out is it was a, it was a four-year-old little girl, and she had a blister on her foot from just underneath her toes all the way to the heel of her foot. That just broke my heart. And there was several adults in that group, and I asked them, why didn't you at least pick up the little girl and walk with her? You know what I mean? And their answer was, she could walk. That just angers me, you know? I mean, who would do that? I don't want those people in America. I don't want them to be my neighbors. I want people to actually care. You haven't met anyone that you've interrogated that you would want to be your neighbor? I have neighbors. I'm okay with the ones I have. I don't know. I've met a lot of people. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying they're all bad. I've met people that I've given my food to. I've met people, I mean, uh, when I was full-time out there, I would carry stuffed animals with me in my vehicle. And when I saw kids that I arrested or detained with their parents, I would give them a stuffed animal. I, I'm not this, I don't like Mexican people. I don't like, you know, people that aren't American. I've gone out of my way to help people that aren't American. I mean, I do it all the time. I got a fundraiser coming up this weekend. That's for, you know, some of these kids that can't afford medical treatment. I see a lot of these individuals that are protesting against me. When was the last time they went to a hospital and paid for some Mexican kids' medical treatment? I'm not that bad guy. Morally, I think I'll always want to do the right thing. If people are weaker than you and they're getting picked on and there's a way for you to speak up or stop it, there's really no reason for you not to. I see folks walking across the border as weaker on getting picked on by, by a lot of forces. Mm-hmm. Do you not see it that way? Yeah. 
but I'm there to make sure that they stop getting picked on. Bye. That's the way I see it. Because I'm not picking on him. I'm, 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 I'm enforcing a law, right? It's funny when you say this, Art. Mm-hmm. Like I just so wish, because you're 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 speaking as the vice president of the National Border Patrol Council. You're speaking as the the president. Like I, you don't like, think I'm speaking as me as the part? No, like I wish we could like take that all away because I think, I think you hear what I'm saying, you know, and I think I think you felt it. I think you felt it in those, you know, being the guy who speaks Spanish when other people don't speak Spanish, hearing the stories, seeing the pain. You know, I think you feel it. But I don't think I felt any pain when I was, I think it was just like, I don't think it was like that. Um, I just don't. I'm just here to enforce the law. I'm not here to, to add my little bit to it. Don't break the law. But the law changes all the time. And when the law changes, I will adhere to the law. If the, the, if the law tomorrow said that all Hondurans can come and live and there's nothing you could do for them, then guess what? They can come in and, out there and I won't even touch them because that's the law. Obviously, if somebody tells me the law is you have to grab this baby and throw him in an oven and turn it to 550 degrees, I'm not going to do a monstrosity. So I don't think it's going to get to that point. I don't believe that. I follow the law, but I'm not going to go out there and commit uh, something that would damage my own moral teachings. I think that line comes when an officer is pointing a gun through an international border and shooting an unarmed 16-year-old who may or may not be throwing rocks from 40 feet down below. That's where, that's where that line is very clear for me. A jury in Tucson, Arizona, is deliberating manslaughter charges against a Border Patrol agent named Lonnie Swartz. When Agent Lonnie Swartz fired 16 rounds through a border fence into Mexico, 10 of those bullets were found in the back and the head of Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez, who was 16 years old. The agent's defense team... Anna Adlerstein reports. The graveyard where Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez is buried is on a slope above the Mexican city of Nogales, looking out towards the international border fence. That's where that line is very clear for me. And that's fine. And, and that could be the line that you've decided to draw. I believe that when you're standing in U.S. soil and there's individuals throwing rocks at you, and they're trying to hurt you, obviously. They're not just trying to get your attention. They're trying to hurt you so they can bring drugs across. I think that at that point, it's them crossing the line and not you. Where are you parked? I'm parked in... Come on, give me a ride. I'm all turned around. I, it's just across the street. Oh, come on, don't be so bad. That's just a box you can step on. Okay, here's your gun catalog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And that box on the bottom on your feet is just a box of ammunition. Great. Look, I even got good tools. Thank you, Art. Thank you so much. Don't get too close to the border. It's dangerous. And you're a nice, you're a nice girl. I, I am. Um, just confused. I, I feel the same about you. Take care. But I love you. Okay, buddy. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That is fucking weird, man. I don't know what to make of that. God damn, I hope Lonnie Schwartz loses that trial. 
After the trial, after the break. This is the only comfort the living one are left with. Bringing them flowers and candles. Y veladoras. A mi nieto lo mató un border patrol. My grandson was killed by a border patrol. We are in court right now, in the second trial. And I think it's going to be the last one. I don't know. Pues claro, no, el defensor del hombre. But of course, the defense claims that he was throwing rocks. Pero no hay un video donde. But there is no video that you can see that he's throwing rocks. And besides, besides, that's not true because the videos that they are presenting, he's not there. They lost the tapes. Because if the video has shown the kid throwing rocks, of course they wouldn't lost the tape. That would have been the end of it. But then, but there is the one up there who hears and sees everything. If there is no justice here on earth, he's going to pay somehow. Like I said, karma is going to get him. It's going to get him. May God forgive him because never going to forgive him. Because he killed him with 10 shots in his back. So we'll see. We'll see what God says. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Um, so, Paul, what just happened? So we've got an announcement that the verdict is in. So we're heading to the court right now, and uh, we'll see what they say. You're gonna be interviewed, right? What? You're gonna be interviewing? Interviewing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just do me a favor, make it outside. Outside this, outside just- Outside the bullets? Outside the bullets, yeah, yeah for sure. What? what? Good, how you doing? Good, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Do you mind telling me I have to outside the bullards? Tell oh, me. Oh yeah, not a problem. Whatever you need. So what so thank you so much. So what what happened in the art? Not guilty. Of uh, what? Well, on the involuntary manslaughter, of course. Sí, fue un veredicto de inocente en en lo que enfoca de del involuntary manslaughter. Do you mind saying that in English as well? No problem. Uh, I, I believe that uh, justice was definitely served. And the reality is, in my eyes, the justice system worked today. Will the fact that there has been two trials now influence any way that the Border Patrol operates in terms of uh, holding uh, Border Patrol agents accountable for excessive use of force? We've always held our agents accountable when they do something wrong. And in a case like this, we've always backed up our agents when we believe that they did the right thing. The, the, uh, the union is here to support the agents when we truly believe there's some kind of injustice. And yes, we financed it because that's our job. We financed those kinds of things. And how much did you pay to your experts? 
Uh, I don't know yet. I have one of those experts make you, $10,000 a day. I'm, I'm not medium. Okay, thank you. Yeah, of course. Any idea if Mr. Schwartz has any plans to return to the Border Patrol? We don't know that. It's something we're going to definitely discuss in the coming weeks. So uh, hopefully everything uh, can go back to normal as much as it can. Thank you. You would like to add? No, that's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Can you just give your name one more time? My name is Art Del Cueto, and I'm the Vice President of the National Border Patrol Council. Thank you. Thanks, Art. All right, take care. Give take me a call. Care. I will. Thank I'll you. Job. Um, I'll, be, I'll be back and forth depending on this case, but I'm just an AHO, so I would love, oh, yeah, I would love to talk more and, yeah, and no, come and to that I'm meeting. I'll give, I'll, give you, I'll give you a tour. I would love to. Whenever you want. Amazing. You're like, you're like my favorite left-wing reporter now. That's such an honor, Art. Thank you Thank so much. You. Take care. Shame on you for how you're, as a union leader, it's shame on that union. Shame on the Border Patrol union. Shame on that. As a union woman, I say shame on you. The amount of money that you spent in a charade of injustice here, Shame on you as a union leader. You don't deserve to call yourself a union leader. A Border Patrol officer was charged with fatally shooting a Mexican teenager over the U.S. border, and he has now been found not guilty of involuntary manslaughter. We're joined now by Anna Adlerstein. She's been covering this trial. Uh, Anna, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. You've been in the courtroom, I understand, for much of these proceedings. What kind of reaction was there after the verdict was read? First off, just shock and sadness. I mean, especially on the part of the family. They they actually really thought they had a chance at getting a guilty verdict. Of over 100 killings associated with Border Patrol in the past 15 years, this one is just the second to make it to criminal court. There have not been any convictions for killing when a Border Patrol officer is on duty. I mean, Border Patrol is the biggest police force in the country, and they operate in remote terrain where often no one sees what happens. Right. Anna Adlerstein, who's been covering this trial from the beginning. Anna, thank you. All right, so this is the headquarters. This is the spot. This is my messy office. I can get over there. I just got to check some of my mail. Yes. Thank you for everything you do. That warms my heart. People are so nice. I believe that people are nice. Don't you? I believe, I believe all people are good. You don't believe all people are good? Make sure there's no white powder. Okay. I think because, of, uh, because they see me sometimes on Fox, or because they see me speak to the president. Thanks for appearing with my podcast. Congressman Biggs. Um, they think that, that I have like, <laughs> excuse me, oh, was there powder in that one? Uh, that I have more uh, influence. They, 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 they believe I have more influence than I really have. Ted Budd. Congressman Budd. Nice guy. Um, you know what I mean? Hey, bro, I'm in the middle of an interview. Can I call you back? It's about uh, yesterday's pew pew. All right, bye. What is this interview about? Should I be aware of what the interview about? What interview? Did you say that this is about yesterday's pew pew? No. Oh. I said I'll call you later on to talk to you about yesterday's oh, issues. This interview is about yesterday. Issues. Yesterday's issues, I said. I heard pew pew. Is that what you say? Heard? That's what I heard. Never mind that.
I was doing the interview after the Lonnie Schwartz case, right? With? With local media. Just the one you were standing outside the courthouse? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I have these people yelling, oh, you're a murderer. And it's like, dude, like, you don't even want to listen. Right. I mean, like, I'll were, sit there and listen. Yeah, you were funding a murderer. I'm funding a case. I'm funding uh, something that I think everyone has the right to be defended in America. We have an agent that was involved in a shooting, mm -hmm. and we provide legal coverage for that individual. I have to cover it. I know that's my job. With us tonight are members of the National Border Patrol Council, and they are great friends of us. I want to just thank them. The official union of our nation's incredible Border Patrol agents. And you know what? They're not supposed to do it, but they did it anyway. They endorsed me. You've always had my back, and I will always have yours. I want to thank Brandon Judd, who's here, and Art Del Cuto. Art and Art Del Cueto. Uh, Art Del Cueto. We're getting better with that name, right? Oh, look at these guys. Look, they're ready. They're ready to fight. El liderazgo del presidente Trump es necesario por otros cuatro años. Thank you guys, thank you. Four more years. You know how I learned English? How? I never even told you that. Um, obviously from school, right? But a lot of my English that I learned was from watching The Big Valley, The Lone Ranger, and The Cisco Kid. You know? So. What does that mean? I think I still believe in or I guess you're influenced by what you grow up seeing. Um, the good guys wear the white hat. You know, Lonnie Schwartz case, the guy with the badge killed an individual that was assisting drug cartels. And people see it as, oh no, it's the big border patrol agent with the badge and the red hair allegedly, and he's white. Uh, let's just, can okay. we just agree on allegedly, like... I can't. On that one. You can or can't? No. He was assisting the illegal drug trade. And he got killed. And I see him as an unarmed 16-year-old walking down the street coming yeah. home. And he got killed. Yeah, with his brother. Yeah. And, and, but here you have a case going on of a border patrol agent that's white from Detroit. They got killed by drug smugglers and border bandits. And no one's even bothering to go to that case. It's not a big deal. Who gives a shit? It's the border patrol agent who got killed. And that, those things bother me. He's the good guy. The good guy got killed and no one cares. Let's forget the Lonnie Shorts case then for a second. Put that aside. One of our good guys got killed by somebody that's obviously a bad person. And nobody cares to go and do a story on it? I... This kind of sucks. I'm not ready to call a Border Patrol agent a good guy. But I'm a Border Patrol agent. And I'm not a bad guy. I don't... You think I'm a good guy? I don't think there are good guys and bad guys. You're not, but you said you weren't ready to call a Border Patrol agent a good guy. I don't think there are good guys and bad guys. Do you think I'm a good guy? No. You don't think I'm a good guy, Anna? 
Yes, you do. You're just trying to you're just trying to sit there because you just you're trying to justify what you just said. Let's not justify what you just said. Don't even put it on record. I don't care if you don't put it on record. But you know you want to say I'm a good guy. Because you don't think I am. I'm not. I think that, like, I enjoy talking to you. I have a lot to learn from you. I'm, like, fascinated to spend more time with you. I believe individuals are good. I, I believe in the humanity of people. So you are prepared to say a Border Patrol agent is good? As an individual. As That's an individual. what we are. We're individuals. You can't define people for, like, just specifically for what they do for a living. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think we see reality a little differently there. And I don't think we do. I don't think we're as far off as you keep alluding in the interview. I don't think we are. I don't. And you don't let it prove it to you. No, <laughs> but don't let it scare you to be similar to me in ways. Because I'm not scared to, to be similar to you in ways. It doesn't bother me. How are you? Oh man, good, crazy. It's been wild. The whole world's wild. Are you recording already? I'm always recording. All right, what do you think I'm doing here? You're horrible. You know, it's my job. Your hair longer. It's been a long time. Your hair's not longer. <laughs> That's funny. You still don't have hair. So you ready? For, are you ready for my news? Yeah, she's threat. Uh, so I got arrested. Okay. Uh. I got arrested. I was accompanying an asylum seeker to the port of entry. Uh-huh. They walked up first, and then I was behind them. You got arrested for harboring, for assisting, for what? The CBP officer came running out and, and called me an illegal alien smuggler. But where were you? I was, I was um, no, on the Mexican, on the Mexican side. side. And you, I don't want to get into, you don't, I don't want you to tell me how it is, because I don't know where the whole thing is. But obviously you're doing your job as a reporter. Yeah, and, and, and you want to observe how this happens because these individuals told you, hey, I've come through here before and they pushed me away. Okay, well, you know what? I'm a reporter. I want to document that they're actually doing that and not allowing you to come and, and do the asylum. Correct? Well, I've also been volunteering at the shelter. Okay. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I volunteer in a lot of places too. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Um, well, I don't know. I wasn't there, I don't know, but that's just shocking to me. Isn't that shocking? It is. It is. It makes me, you know, it makes me really, like, afraid. You're not afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid for our country. Okay, that's different. Okay, that's what I feel. Okay, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Because, like, even when, like, let's just talk about asylum for a quick second, mm-hmm. right? Like, even when an individual presents at a port of entry with a lawyer, with a legal observer, who's mm-hmm. represented by another lawyer, yeah. and then I get arrested for illegal alien smuggling? Like, if that's not how you want someone to present, you know, like, what is the way you want someone to present? I understand what you're saying. I fully understand what you're saying. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I mean, there's bad apples in everywhere. everywhere. You know that. Um, you know, let's just look at the illegals that are entering the country, and I'll, and I'll ask you the question. Do you think they're all bad? First off, I don't, I don't consider anyone illegal. Well, the migrants that are entering the country, do you consider them all bad? 
No, but, very, but, yeah, But there's none. obviously some that are. There's some that have bad intentions. There's some that are bad. I thought we I thought we agreed earlier that there are no bad people. No, just- but let's, I mean, you know what we're talking about. Um, and I think, I think the same goes for the agency. I think, you know, not all of them are bad, you know, but certainly there's some bad ones. You know, I don't condone the behavior of the bad ones. I never have. No, Do you condone Lonnie Schwartz shooting Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez I through can't. the fence and killing a 16-year-old unarmed boy? I know that's an unfair question because I can't really uh, get into that one. I think that whatever he was feeling at the time and he felt his life was in danger and other people's lives were in danger— he used his training, and part of his training was to do that. He then got charged for, you know, two different charges in the death of, of, of uh, Elena Rodriguez, and um, he was found innocent. I mean, what do you want me to say? I mean, if, if, I mean, that's all I can say about it. I know that's all you can say from, like, a union official stance. What we're talking about is people, like, like feeling like actions are good or bad. The problem is that I'm getting interviewed, and I think anything I say will be taken as me and my position, and that's what it comes down to. So it doesn't matter what I say or how I feel or or anything. In the end, it will be taken as the union vice president said this. Um, you know, I'm not afforded that opportunity to be able to talk about certain things at times because people don't look at me as just a human being. That's why I think it's great that we've had the opportunity to talk because regardless of the interview and the questions, you've gotten to see me as a human being. I think everyone is under the impression that you have to be far right or far left or else you can't really be anyone in this, in this um, country anymore. And uh, I don't know if you're far left. Um, I don't know if I'm far left or far right or what I am. Right. Uh, But I do know that you have a different political view than I do. And uh, every time that we've talked, whether it be through uh, telephone and just, you know, shooting the shit, I guess you would say, or uh, through your interview or the times that we've, you know, sat down and broken bread. uh, I've had a very pleasurable time and I hope you have, too, Mm -hmm. regardless of our views. Mm -hmm. And I think we need that more in the world right away, right about now. I'm done. Thanks, Art. You're awesome. You really are. I, I really I really appreciate your time. I really, I, I, I know that, you know. I've never done this for anyone else. What do you mean? I've never done, I mean, taken this much time to, to, to give interviews. Yeah, but you also call me to shoot the shit, as you said. I do, because you're like, cool. I want to find out how you're doing. I didn't know you got arrested. It's upsetting. What it? the F? <laughs> I know, I'm like, Art's either gonna, like, I'm like, what is Art gonna say? Is he gonna be pissed? He better fucking be pissed. I mean, I, I just arrested. can't believe you got arrested, but you know what I mean? Because from what you're telling me, you didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. What? That's kind of shitty. Me getting arrested? Yeah, for nothing. <laughs> did you get the guys, did you get the guys' names? Who, the officers? Yeah. Do you want them? No, I don't want them. Yeah. No, turn that off. We're off the record. Turn it off. Oh, come on. Turn it off. Art! I'm telling you, you gotta turn it off. Okay, I'm turning it off. This episode was produced by Anna Adler-Steen and Nick Vanderkolk, with Julia DeWitt, Phil Domhofsky, and Stephen Jackson for the show Love and Radio from Luminary. Love and Radio is actually the reason why I got into podcasting. It is um, the greatest radio show. <laughs> and you should check it out at loveandradio.org. On Luminary, you can hear an expanded version of this story called La Linea. It features the voices of Art Del Cueto, Anna Adlerstein, Kaida Elena, Rosaria Murbach, and Paul Ingram. 
The Cut Podcast is produced by B.A. Parker, Allison Berenger, and me, with scoring and engineering from Brandon McFarland. Special thanks to Karine Zakadinas, Sangeeta Singh Kurtz, and our executive producers, Stella Bugby and Nishat Kurwa. The show is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. You can read and support their work by going to thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Avery Truffleman. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.